0: And Welcome to Just Plain Wrong, the podcast where three Mennonite librarians discuss depictions of Amish Mennonite and other plain groups in pop culture. I'm Tilly, your moderator for this episode, and with me are my co-hosts, Abby and Aaron, as well as our very special guest, Joe Springer. Joe has been the curator of the Mennonite Historical Library for over 35 years now, and has the honor of having been uh, a boss to all three of us, (laughs) though not at the same time. He has an excellently dry sense of humor, and he is a walking genealogy tome and local Goshen, Goshen College historian. So this episode, we will be talking to him a, a bit about the Mennonite Historical Library, which we have referenced many times on the podcast. And we will also be forcing Joe to take a variety of themed quizzes. Joe, do you have something you want to add?
1: Well, I, I figure your questions will introduce me to the audience. So maybe we should just dive in. I am honored to be on your podcast. Well, we're really
2: excited. This has been a long, long anticipated and, and requested by our listeners. Yes.
1: By a listener, did you say?
2: I well, one who commented. I'm sure many of them <laughs> had thought it in their hearts that they wanted this to happen. I think it's
3: come up at least twice. So oh, really? you're easily no, okay. our you're easily our most requested guest. I don't think anyone <laughs> else has been requested at all. <laughs> Quite an honor. <laughs> so we're going to start by doing the Amish Romance Title Generator, which I think you're probably familiar with, but I will share my screen. And it's, I don't know if you've seen the new and improved and actually legible version that we've created. I have.
1: So. And in fact, I prepared for this site. Oh,
3: perfect. Yes.
1: <laughs> so you feel
3: free to just uh, to tell us your title.
1: Well, I have a little more involved process, so I have to critique the generator a little bit, too. Fair, fair. I really think you need to migrate it into a truly automatic generator. If you had anyone with tech training, maybe they could do that for you, Mm -hmm. so that we avoid the temptation to plan our title. (laughs) For most folks, only that fourth column, that birth month, is a choice-free Column. I mean, there's only one option there. And I have to confess that I spent more time trying to construct my title than I think many of the self published authors of <laughs> Amish romance invest in writing their first trilogy. So, in column one, really the only words that could be struck off the list from the choices would be millionaire and quilt maker. No cherry pie or rhubarb pie for me. But anything else would work. And I also, would suggest that for future podcast guests, maybe you prepare a sampler box of the treats so that we can choose what's truly our favorite right now. I did finally settle on peanut butter pie so that I could be an Amish mit- misfit today. <laughs> then I hemmed and hawed over which phone number to use. But with a nod to Amish use of cell phones, I decided I really needed to use my cell number. So We go with six, which is hopeful, Amish Misfits hopeful, but then which name to choose? First, middle, last. Unlike many Mennonites, uh, my spouse and I did not choose to combine our last names, so I didn't have two last names to choose from, but I decided that I would go with, with S for murder. Then that final no choice column is going to be courtship. So the Amish misfits hopeful murder courtship. <laughs> and then I decided that I don't really like that third column so well because it has doesn't have adjectives in it. Mm-hmm. And so you get this noun compilation, but I decided that was your way of doing real world authentic Titles like <laughs> Amish Christmas Baby Gone, that fact. Exactly. But I thought maybe that courtship is really just the title of the first novel of the trilogy of the Amish Misfits Hopeful Murder. And then the second volume might be Betrayal. Mm-hmm. And then depending on whether you wanted a sad culmination or a happy ending, you would have either disaster or miracle as the final (laughs) volume of the trilogy.
0: You you are right. We should make some of these adjectives because Amish misfits, hopeful, murderous courtship flows Mm -hmm. a little better. But I don't know how we do some of words we have in here. Like what's the adjective form of buggy? (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. or baby
1: well anyway i i didn't want to let you totally off the hook for the generator i've seen it i think from its very first version so yes
3: thank you for doing that and for all of the careful thought you put into uh to your responses
1: yes. the genre as a whole would benefit from more careful thought <laughs>
2: it's true it's true so I'm going to start off with just a general question. So, how would you describe the Mennonite Historical Library collection? And also, as a follow-up to that, what are some of the more interesting or unique items that you have?
1: Well, there's a pretty standard definition of the Mennonite Historical Library that's been in force for quite a while, and that is that we try to collect everything by and about. That's where this. Amish romance novels come in, Uh, Amish, Mennonites, and related groups, Um, and we go back as far in time as we can, and we keep moving forward. Although for many years, much of the collection was largely either European or North American content, we have in uh, recent years particularly sought to represent a Anabaptist world that is very different than it was even 50 years ago. And we did always collect things from wherever we could get them. I was remembering that once had a student assistant from India and she was working through some materials in the library, and all of a sudden she got all excited because she had happened to run across the page of a periodical that had a picture of her grandfather. From when he was a young man that had been published in some Mennonite periodical. And so there are Mennonite groups in places like the Congo and and India that have been around for more than 100 years now and other many newer groups. But anyway, we, we hope in our collection to represent everybody who is part of that larger fellowship of Amish, and not Amish particularly, but more Mennonites and Anabaptists. And within that large umbrella, Amish Hutterites and others are a visible part too. So uh, favorite items, I could name a few things that I would, would be most upset if we lost, but there are other things that I enjoy, even though they're almost worthless. In my 35 plus years, the most exciting item from my perspective that we have acquired, we have exciting items present in the collection long before I was here, but the most exciting item we acquired is a little uh, four-page pamphlet, the only known copy in the world, printed in the 1540s in Strasbourg, and it contains a pre-Ousbund version of a hymn that is included in the Auspun, the Auspun being the hymnal first published in 1564 and that the Amish continue to use today. So that was a a wonderful opportunity that we had, and it also was sort of an exciting afternoon in the MHL for me because we got an email from the bookseller in Switzerland that was offering it. I called our Boss John Roth. And he agreed, yes, we have to get this. And we did a little strategy. And within three hours, we had, with the permission of the College Development Office, approached well, we didn't approach the person we thought we were going to approach, but instead, we got the name of someone else who we approached, who then bought it in honor of the person we were going to uh, (laughs) approach to purchase it for us. So that was a really Really fun time and also um, a valuable uh, example of of what modern technology allows us to do compared to Harold S. Bender in the nineteen late nineteen twenties poking around a Harrisburg, Pennsylvania bookstore, finding the only known copy of that first printed edition of the Ausbund, not having uh, enough money to buy it right away and buying. It was bound with some other items, buying the part that was most important to him, using all his resources for that, and needing then to, over the next year, figure out how to buy the rest of the pieces that were there. An example of something that is not at all valuable, but I still am glad we have it, is a booklet called All the Maiden Ladies of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania in the year 1984. And unfortunately, that didn't become a serial, That, at least as far as I know, it didn't become. <clears throat> but that was a little guidebook, apparently, for Amish widowers to uh, be able to find older, unmarried Amish women in the Lancaster County area in case they needed a replacement spouse. So is my assumption. The purpose is not... Listed in the book, but that seems to be the only motivation for such a compilation. Mm. And we have many other things uh, between those two extremes.
2: Uh, I feel like you really captured some of the the breadth uh, and and the rich the rich stories that go along with the MHL. I had not heard either of those uh, stories, so that's really awesome. Yeah, the
0: Maidens of Lancaster. What was the title again?
1: All the Maiden Ladies of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania.
0: All the Maiden Ladies. In the that, year
1: of 1984.
0: That should be like a Beyonce remake instead of All the Single yeah. ladies, all the yes. maiden ladies. All the Maiden Ladies. There's got to be something in there about 1984, too. Yes. I
1: and I, I hadn't even thought of that, but very appropriate.
0: Yeah. You know, I in my time looking at genealogies and looking, I, I always have kind of a morbid desire to know how long it takes after. A spouse's death for someone to get remarried. So, whenever I'm cataloging a genealogy where someone has more than one spouse, I always see how many years passed in between. And it doesn't seem like, you know, the eligible maiden ladies of Lancaster County, you know, were that hard to find because it by and large. You know, at least Amish couples or Amish widowers in particular tend to get remarried awfully quick.
1: They are, as we know from mm-hmm. Am- Amish romance novels, one actually somewhat accurate part of that depiction is that Amish men and women both do lose spouses, in part because they face certain things that are no longer common for many mainstream American culture, but there are, I mean... I don't know that the death rate of mothers in birth is much higher, but it's um, probably is somewhat higher than in the general population because there are so many more pregnancies. And then Amish men have both farm accidents and industrial accidents to cope with. And of course, there's the risk of traveling in buggies that are not safe when hit. So there are there are there's no shortage of people who eventually are going to maybe need another spouse. And sometimes it's a widower and a widow marrying each other. But other times it's a widower marrying someone who has not been married before or vice versa.
0: I feel like we should pile some stats because I feel like we have a lot of single women and widowed men, but not a lot of widowed women and single men.
1: But you do have some.
0: We, have some. we did get that one one book that actually had uh, a woman with silver hair on the cover. It's the first main character over the age of 25 that I had seen in, in any of those books. So I don't know if she was a widow or, or not. I imagine she probably was. Well, shall we move on to quiz number one? Okay. Quiz number one is... Uh, something that listeners may already hear by the time this episode airs, but we wanted Joe to answer anyway because we think it's interesting. I put it together by combing through Amazon metrics as best I could for the year 2021 of Amish romances. I suspect there is some overlap and my statistics are a little bit wonky, um, but I did my best to weed out repeat titles and compilation titles. Erin, do you want to... And I, I, question:
3: Yes, I'll ask the question, and I, I'm trying to remember. These are going to air in our intro episode. Abby, did we get? I think we got both of these wrong. So <laughs> curious if oh. Joe will get this get this right. <clears throat> so the first question is: By Amazon Metrics, 2021 saw the publication of a new Amish romance every a 12 hours, b 18 hours, c 30 hours or d
1: 3 days. Well, 3 days seems too long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> we should say this takes into account both digital only and printed.
1: Okay, well that's that's important. I almost was going to say does this include Kindle? And I'm just pleased as punch that we have never agreed to collect digital only Amish romance novels. So I'm going to with that thing go with maybe 18 hours was that one of the choices
3: It was yes. that is correct good job
0: <laughs> Every 18 hours that is my rough okay. estimate which is a whole lot I have not I would be interested to see how how often general romance titles are produced if that's like every 2 hours or what what the field looks like as a whole Anyhow, uh, now that we've done (laughs) quiz number one, let's move back to another question that gets at a little bit of what you were saying with your gratitude that we are not collecting e-books, and that is, what are some of the biggest changes that you have seen at your time at the MHL?
1: There have been lots of changes. And one way I'm keenly aware of it is that sometime in the next several years, I I will be retiring, and whoever follows me, I think, will have a very different job than than I do. As you three know, but uh, perhaps not all of the listeners know, I actually succeeded my father. And so we now have had a firm hold on the Mennonite Historical Library for almost (laughs) 75 years. My son has promised me he will not be following in my (laughs) Uh, but so I I also have sort of that perspective of knowing how different my father's job was from mine, and by the time I came on board, we were in the midst of a major recataloging project that got all of our or essentially all of our cataloging into a database into OCLC. And that was a huge benefit. And it also allowed us then in the course of my employment to move from a card catalog to an online catalog. I'm very grateful that we skipped the middle step that some libraries went through of a microfiche catalog, which were just horrible things to work with. But people saw them as beneficial for a few years. uh, And I did work in other libraries that had those. In the time that I have been here, we actually have more than doubled the size of the collection. So I looked and there were just about 40,000 volumes when I came in 1986. And in our last annual report, well, 40,000 counted items, let's say. And now we have 87. So that suggests that the rate of what has been published, of course, has increased. I would say, though, that most important has been the ease with which we can access information that longer ago would have been impossible to find out. So if I am trying to track down some 16th century source, when I started, I would have perhaps begun by taking a trip over to Notre Dame where they had a massive. 600-volume National Union Catalog published volumes that I coveted greatly, uh, but they would have taken more shelf space than Amish romances, and we couldn't afford it. But every once in a while, I would go over there to try to locate which libraries might have certain things. Because for the most part, older materials weren't included in OCLC yet, and you just didn't have a way to find out where they were a convenient way. Now, if I suddenly find out about something, often within a matter of minutes, I can locate where a copy of it is. And if I want it badly enough, I can probably get access to the text in some way within less than a month at the outside. So that's uh, that's really useful, but also changes the nature of the work and changes What brings people to the library? I was recalling that our summers in MHL used to be, we would talk about the genealogy RVers because we would always get, every summer, we would get multiple people that were on a road trip in their RV that were doing genealogical research. Right now, because of the changes in genealogical research online, uh, other than local people researching, we've fairly rarely have outside people coming to the library. We do continue to get lots of questions, but it's somewhat rare. And I don't know when the last time was we had an RV genealogist <laughs> in, in the library. Those are just a few of the, the examples.
2: Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I mean, really echoes in some ways some of the changes you've seen across libraries in general. But so... I'm going to take us back to the quiz. So this is the same, same one that Tilly created. So this is a question, which traditionally published author published the most books in 2021? So here are your choices. Wanda Brunstetter, Amy Clipston, Marta Perry, Shelley Shepard Gray.
1: That's a hard one for me. I, I, if this would be three years ago, I would be very confident in saying Wanda Brunstetter. Can we include her daughter in the number?
2: <laughs> I think it was generated just with, with Wanda Brunstetter. Okay.
1: Just out of uh, out of devotion to a, a veteran author, I'm still going to go with Wanda, even though I think there's a very good chance that is not the correct answer.
2: Well, well, I applaud your loyalty, but yes, you are incorrect. Uh, it is in fact Amy Clipston. Um, but Wanda Burstetter did publish three, so she's not—you know, she's no slouch. So,
1: but she's yeah. slowed way down.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Amy Amy Clipston published six, so yes. uh, tough to keep up with that. Yes, everyone on that
3: list had at least three books published in twenty twenty one. That's like. James
0: Patterson
1: level of this actually gives me some hope that maybe we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel.
0: don't
3: think so <laughs>
1: <laughs> because I think there would have been years when there would have been multiple more authors than that publishing six mm. in the course of a year but we'll we'll do what we must yeah soon.
0: It is interesting. I wonder, I wonder, I just wish I had better access to statistics than I do because the rate of publication for Amish romances has increased since Thrill of the Chase came out, which had one coming out every day and a half or two days, I think was the rate. But I do wonder if that's all been digital only growth and
1: not traditional
0: publishing growth.
1: Well, or self published.
0: And self published too.
1: Yeah. yeah.
3: All right. Our next question, uh, going back to your work at the MHL, is what are your favorite parts of your job?
1: Well, I think most definitely it is the thrill of the chase, not the chased. <laughs> <coughs> so I do enjoy the, I don't enjoy all the questions that come in, but I enjoy the process of working with people's questions and helping them find answers to those questions. And that means that my work is quite varied because people have such different questions. One early morning, I got a call from a voice I could recognize as Hutterite, wanting the phone number of then-Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, this is not a typical MHL question, but it actually for the person inquiring made a lot of sense because the Hutterites speak an Austrian dialect and he knew that Arnold Schwarzenegger was from Austria. And so he was interested, I guess, in finding out how his German compared to their German. I did, in good librarian fashion, give him the number of the press office for the governor and say, I'm not sure you'll get through, but here's a way you might. So yeah, one never knows at the beginning of the day what things one might be looking up. And sometimes there are questions that as soon as I hear them, I think, oh no, how on earth am I going to work at that particular question? And sometimes I'm not going to be successful, but there are other things that, that are really interesting. And one of the the real joys of working in the mhl is that we do have such a rich and comprehensive collection that when we begin to unravel uh, find the first thread of an answer we can follow that pretty far within our own resources and so sometimes i i start thinking well i'll begin to look here and then i see there's a footnote well i can usually go to the work that is cited in the footnote and then see well exactly how did they how did they phrase it there? I did have a researcher just yesterday who who was interested in finding a particular place in Switzerland, and he knew where he had read the read that this place was of importance to him. And so I looked at that and then I I did that process of, well, where did that person get their information and found out that that person had not cited the source at all, the second second source. And so I was able instead to go back and say, you know, realistically, I think there's some error in that first source, because a place this size is very unlikely to have a, had a prison. And he his understanding was that a, an ancestor of his had been imprisoned in that, in that particular place. I said, I think it has to be that he was from this little place and there was a major prison some uh, 15 kilometers away. And my guess is that if we got to the source, we might find that's where, where he was. But it was already five o'clock, so we didn't, we didn't solve that yesterday.
0: Have there been any lingering questions you haven't been able to answer that have just like haunted you?
1: Oh, I'm sure there have been things that I've gone back to again and again, things that every few years I will go back. Well, Tilly, actually, this was an acquisitions item. It wasn't the same as a research uh, question, but just in Tilly's recent efforts to make sure that we have whatever graphic novels might be relevant in the back of my mind was a memory of a book that I was unable to obtain 20 years ago when I first heard about it. And I hadn't, hadn't thought about it, but I was able, with the bits of information that I remembered, to find the actual title and author of it. And then, again, the glories of the internet and online book selling. I actually found a used copy of it. So it's on its way from Germany to us. After, you know, having been forgotten, again, this would be closer to the maiden ladies of Lancaster County than to the 1540s song pamphlet in value but it's still nice to to know that that little hole in the collection is now, will now also be filled.
0: This is the one about uh, Anabaptist vampires?
1: Yes, of yeah, course.
0: Yeah, that's an important hole to fill, I think. Yes. <laughs> you is never know the... when someone needs to read the German pulp uh, novel about uh,
1: vampires. One thing, I mean, this is a very um, sort of... Um, meaningless thing to have documented in the MHL. But there are other examples of, of things that when you look, okay, was there something earlier like this that are more important? And even with the genre of Amish romance novels, to think back and see, well, where were Mennonites first depicted in fiction? After reading Thrill of the Chaste, uh, I tried to make sure we had some of the early examples that Valerie mentioned, and in most cases we already did, but I added a few more. And then I, I did a, a little more research and found, well, here's here's something from the late 1700s that isn't exactly in line with these, but it's a non-Mennonite portrayal of something that was known at the time about Mennonites, and they're choosing to make a main character a Mennonite. And we didn't have that at the time, but now we do. And so it is interesting to follow things back like that.
0: Well, now let's move on to what I hope will be a reoccurring segment. It is a game that we like to call Balder Dutch. And like the game Balderdash, and like half the quizzes on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we are going to give you three things, and you will choose which one is the fake. In this case, we're going to start off with three titles and plot summaries for books that involve Amish characters. So we'll each take a turn reading one, and then you can guess which one is the fake. I get to start.
2: So... The title is Donut Tell a Soul. Esther Brubaker, 23-year-old Amish spinster, lives with her widowed grandmother above the donut shop they run. One morning, during the daily donut rush, the local florist gets run over by a large tourist bus. Everyone thinks it was an accident, but Esther saw a mysterious figure cut the brake lines on the bus. Can Esther persuade Sheriff Meyer and his trusty canine companion Hank to help? Only time and this cozy mystery will tell.
3: Great. Book two is An Amish Country Calamity. 15 year old motherless Amish wild child Annie Miller is in a whole goat load of trouble. It seems she accidentally ordered $3,000 worth of Nubian goats. And, sorry, I can't even read this without laughing. Nubian goats at a livestock auction. With the holidays fast approaching, will Annie be able to unload the goats, earn back the money, and save Christmas?
0: Option number three is entitled Alien in a Small Town. In the future, the Mennonites of rural Pennsylvania live much as they always have, but the world around them has changed enormously. Indira left this place years ago to travel the earth and beyond, but now for personal reasons, she has returned. It is here in Amish country of all places that she encounters. Paul, his real name, unpronounceable, a lumbering, stone-skinned, yet soulful alien who was settled on earth as penance for a crime that he committed long ago. This is their story.
1: I was sure that the Nubian go- goats must be the fake plot, but Paul is very tempting. I, I just feel that the donuts is real. But I could be wrong about everything. And unlike your podcast audience, I I can try to look at the faces of you as we're doing this, and I'm just not being successful. But I think, um, although I certainly have never heard of the alien in the small town, and the Nubian goats is a little more believable in general, I still, I think I'm going to go with Nubian goats.
3: That one is actually real. The Nubian Goats is like a real mm-hmm. title. Um,
1: now, don't tell me it's the donut one that's fake.
3: I'm afraid <laughs> it
2: was. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. Yes, we, we created we that, that
2: one. <laughs> You could tell we have a future in publishing. Yeah. Like fit right in. <laughs> yes. So, to be
0: fair, it was sort of a copy. It was basically a Mad Libs, where it's just like a blank bakery in Amish country. Yes. Sees was- a murder because of a blank.
2: Yes. We were particularly proud of our ten- our punny title, Donut Tell a
0: Soul. Mm-hmm. Yes. I
1: mean,
2: you can see that one right now. You can picture it could the, be, the book cover. It could be a
0: whole series. Next one could be like Donut Tell a Lie. Oh, Tamara yes. Myers
1: has the corner on clever titles. I don't I wouldn't try to compete with her.
0: <laughs> well, I mean Lethal Licorice and all of all that candy series
1: has yeah, a lot of funny titles yeah. with food also. I forget. Was it the donut one that had the dog in it, too? Yes. Yes. I guess. <laughs> yeah, so you see that. See, there is this that one. I can't I wouldn't begin to remember her name, but there was a series of maybe twenty five, two short books that had some share of it couldn't quite keep their series straight either. And that, I was thinking, well, that might be that. Sorry, yeah. I'm doing very poorly on these quizzes.
0: <laughs> well the fact that all of these are feasible is <laughs>
2: something. tells you the the breadth of the genre there the Goats uh, one is
3: actually a whole series. It's an Amish Country Calamity Goats Gone Wild books one through four a self-published series by Ruth Price.
1: I have to say that I'm being very restrained here. I was tempted to right away be typing things into the catalog as uh, as as, <laughs> as you were asking to, because I thought surely I would find one or more bits of information to confirm.
2: Well that segues into our final question before we do one final quiz. And that is, what kind of impact has Amish romance had on your job?
1: Well, in in many ways, each of you has been more impacted by our collection of Amish romance than I have. So that's why I could answer the big picture question of that first quiz, but failed on, on the other two. Because even though we collect a lot and many perhaps justifiably would say too many Amish romances i don't i don't spend a lot of time with them <laughs> and so i just i went down and looked at our the way we classify our fiction we have english language fiction from sort of mid 20th century to end of the 20th century, and then including writers who started then and continued, and then also fiction published to the beginning of the 2000s, and then fiction 2000 and forward. And my guess is that we have about 40 yards of shelves of fiction in those two periods. And without having done an actual survey or sample, scientific sample, I would guess we have at least 20 yards of Amish romance. So Mm -hmm. about half of, of that So that would be one way it's impacted is that we have 20 yards of books that we wouldn't otherwise probably have. I was thinking of what the first Amish romance that sticks in my mind and looked at it and uh, realized that it actually, maybe this is why it was memorable, but it arrived shortly after. I started working and not only that, but it was before the chaste Amish romance. And Tilly, I think you didn't give, uh, you were a guest on another podcast recently. And I think you, you didn't give proper credit to the fact that there are steamy romances, <laughs> Harlequin and others that, that do include a little more physical interaction among the characters than most of the romances that we collect. But this first one, not only was it set in Goshen, Indiana, but it was actually the person who wrote it did research at the Mennonite Historical Library before I arrived, unfortunately. I never met her. But she sent this copy of the book. And in the book, it she wrote a note to my colleague who had actually helped her when she was in the library. The this, this setting was a female anthropology professor at Goshen College that falls in love with some brawny young Amish guy. Anyway, the cover has them in kind of a Daisy Duke style outfit for the anthropology professor, which I'm not sure an anthropology professor would have worn. And this brawny guy in the hay. We tried to imagine if this was the barn that used to be on the college campus or uh, long gone. (laughs) Anyway.
3: I read the book. It's his barn. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh okay. <clears throat> but the the cover so the note from the author who was giving this said I cried when I saw the cover. Aww. And I thought that's very sensitive that she disliked this rather steamy <laughs> cover and she must have thought that would be offensive to us and uh, it was offensive but not necessarily for the reasons she might have thought. Anyway, <laughs> it was only Later on, in actually cataloging the book, that we realized that the cover misspelled the author's last name. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) So it had nothing to do with this steamy (laughs) illustration. It was the fact that her name was misspelled on the cover.
3: (laughs) Her own book. uh, Yeah, I think we're going to try and cover that one later this season too. Uh, I did. I read it, it. it's a little slower than today's modern Amish romances. And yes. it's interesting that she did all that research and still yeah. got the whole shunning thing so so wrong. Um, we can discuss
2: that in the future. <laughs> in a future episode. <laughs> um. So for our final quiz question, this is in the same, it's, it's another version of the the Balder Dutch, but this one is focused on Amish fan fiction. So this is fan fiction written with Amish themes. So we have three different titles and brief summaries. And once again, you get the job of picking the fake. To
0: start off with, we have Harry Potter and the Hexenmeister's Rock, which can best be summed up in the line, you're Amish, Harry.
3: Option two, Return of the Yoder, so some Star Wars uh, fan fiction. Luke grew up as a sheltered farm boy on the far-off planet of Holm, but when he learns his father is the infamous shunned Danny Graber, he gets sucked into a plot to defend the family dry goods store from the new Walmart in town.
2: And this one is The Importance of Family. It's a frozen alternate universe, or AU. Anna's whole world is turned upside down when her sister Elsa re- returns and reveals that she may want to leave their Amish way of life.
1: Well, I would like to read all three of them. But I am going to, this time, and I hang my head in shame, which is a good Amish Mennonite quality, anyway. But I will, uh, I will say that the Hexenmeister is the fake one.
0: I'm afraid you are incorrect. <laughs> that is definitely a real one. <laughs> I got maybe a few paragraphs into it, and it was just clearly someone having a lot of fun, and it made no
1: no plot sense at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Which you know you don't have to do in fan fiction. So, well,
1: and I have to say that. Tilly apparently has kept these off of our acquisitions <laughs> lists so far, too. Uh, I
0: mean, if you want, I can go to you know fanfiction.net or Archive I Our Own and start printing them off and, like, finding them. But <laughs> <laughs> I like, there's, there's rather
2: a lot of them on there. I think that's a road you may not want to go down.
1: I'd, yeah. I'd, we would have no way to manage them. Yes.
2: <laughs> the, the fake one in this case was Return of the Yoder. Which we again had a whole lot of fun coming up with.
3: We were trying to come up with like an empire strikes, like Walmart is the empire, you know.
2: Mm. Yeah, Danny Glover, Darth Vader, yeah, far <laughs> off planet of home, Holmes County.
1: Well, fun. I'm I'm wondering. I think Aaron would have experienced this, but something about those plots reminded me of our Amish punching puppet. Aaron, was that when you were working for us that we acquired that?
3: I don't remember that.
1: <laughs> so we n- not only collect published materials, but we also have a number of artifacts. And at one point, we became aware that someplace out in Seattle was selling these, these punching puppets. And it's just one was Amish, another was a fighting nun. So uh, it clearly was they were just making the same toy with slightly different closed but but you put your hand in it and then you hit levers and and the arms jab out and i'm guessing it was when a former dean of the college trans Transition from the dean's office to a teaching role, that uh, he may have received one of these as as a gift in that process. So that would have been a little before Aaron's time.
3: The weirdest thing I remember happening when I worked at the MHL is it was the era of MySpace, and I must have had. That I worked at the MHL in my bio and a TV producer from the show Wife Swap reached out to me via MySpace and asked if I knew a Mennonite family that would go. I think I, I mean, I'm sure I asked you about it, but I I don't think I, I either didn't respond or I wrote back and said none of the Mennonite families I know would be the sort of Mennonite family you're looking for.
1: Well, we yeah, over the years, we we have gotten a number of innocent but totally unreasonable requests for uh, assistance in sort of reality show uh, fiction. And of course, much as I ignore all Amish romance, I am a major fan of Amish reality shows. And my whole purpose in every one of those shows is to identify the actual individuals as soon as possible, which I'm usually pretty successful at. Except that, fortunately, they have kind of settled down. There are not many of them anymore. But in the Amish Mafia, they actually ended up being much more discreet ahead of time because of the ways that some of their characters were revealed sort of while the show was in broadcast for earlier series. In Amish Mafia, they did a much better job of hiding identities, not giving quite as much information that anyone who knew Amish could actually right away figure out who these people were
3: do you have a favorite Amish reality show
1: I don't know that one can name (laughs) them as
3: favorites
1: (coughs) The I would say that the most bizarre was and remains Amish mafia I mean that just it also had more offensive things about it than I mean, all, all of them had offensive things about, but the you know the concept that they were working with uh, was just so bizarre, and that unwittingly people out in the among the English would actually think there was something tr- some truth to this presentation that there was some sort of paralegal enforcement going on. And it's just is.
3: what you're saying is the Amish mafia isn't real, but just. <laughs>
1: Sorry to break that news to you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So all of our listeners can hear it from an authoritative source.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that takes us to the end of our questions. Oh, no, we've got one more, which is, have you actually read any Amish romance? And if so, what have you read?
1: I often tell people I don't have time to read, so <laughs> I'm too busy looking things up. Compared to you three and several other people who either do or have worked in the uh, Mennonite Historical Library, I do actually read far less, and in that far less, do not choose to spend much time with Amish romances.
0: We do not blame you. In fact, it's probably wise choice. make. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, besides which, I mean, there's so many of them. I feel like by osmosis, just being in the presence of so many amateur
1: Sherman's books, you probably are aware enough of what the plot of all. I feel are. that I understand them.
0: I think you do. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to this week's episode where we have finally gotten to interview Joe Springer. Joe, thank you very much for being here.
1: Thank you so much.
0: We would love to hear your thoughts on our new game, Dutch, Amish Romance, Amish Trivia, or the Mennonite Historical Library, as well as any recommendations, corrections, and other musings you might have. You can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Pod, or through email at plainwrongpod at gmail.com. You can also visit our new website, plainrogpod.com to learn more about our podcast and find out where to purchase t-shirts, mugs, magnets, stickers, and other merch that helps us cover our hosting fees. We always appreciate when people leave reviews and subscribe because that's the best way for other people to learn that this podcast exists. Next week, we will be discussing a few Mennonite and Amish-themed picture books. Thanks for tuning in.